The reading this morning is in Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness of the, of, for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a country of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called the oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the splendor of his splendor, for the display of his splendor. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you to uh, Andy for reading that for us. What a great message to hear this Sunday morning. Uh, let me add my welcome to Dan. Uh, a very happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, and I hope you're having a great weekend so far. It's certainly uh, been great weather for it. I'm not sure what you've been up to. Uh, Friday is my day off. And, and, and here's what I saw on Friday. Thank you, Norm, for the picture. Here's what I saw on Friday. It, it, admittedly, it looked slightly different on Friday when I went into London. Uh, the Queen wasn't there. Um, the, the red velvet wasn't hanging from the balcony. But undeniably, as I was stood in London on Friday on my day off in the sunshine with all the flowers and the daffodils out, Buckingham Palace was there and the balcony was there even if the Queen wasn't stood on it. Here are three questions for you as we look at that picture. Question number one, who's this about? Question number two, when is this about? When did it take place? You'll already be thinking of your answers. Uh, question number three, what is this all about? Uh, well, I would have given you uh, points for question number one if you'd uh, said the Queen. Also, if you'd said the royal family. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Uh, when is this about? Well, this photo was taken on the, occasions, uh, on the occasion of the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. Well done for those of you who are Queen's hat spotters and recognise the outfit. Um, uh, when is this about? It's not actually just about the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, and that touches on our next question, what is this about? It's, it's not just about the Queen, it's not just about the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. This picture is about the future as much as it is about the present. It's about the not yet as much as it is about the now. In one snapshot, cleverly and thoughtfully put in place by the Buckingham Palace crew, in one snapshot, we've got the present generation, we've got the next generation, we've got the next generation beyond that. And if Kate and William had had George and Charlotte there, 
we would have had the next generation beyond that. In one snapshot, we've got a picture of generations and monarchy all the way into the future. And that leads us to Isaiah this morning and to those same three questions that we're going to be asking about Isaiah. Who's this about? When's this about? And what is this all about? Do keep Isaiah 61 open in front of you. It's page 748 if you've closed your Bibles up. Because verse 1 starts with a slightly cryptic verse. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And the question perhaps burning in our minds at that point is who is the me here in verse 1? Who's this about? I guess most immediately it's about Isaiah and his generation. Uh, But in the same phrase, in those same words, if you like, in the same snapshot in Isaiah, we've also got a future generation in view. Uh, You might remember that when Jesus begins his public ministry, reported for us in Luke 4, the first words that he chooses to begin that public ministry with is actually the reading that we heard This morning, Jesus stood up in the temple in Nazareth and said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. And he continues the reading from Isaiah right up into the words, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's halfway through verse 2. And then he does what any visiting rabbi to a Jewish synagogue would have done. He rolls up the scroll He gives it back to the attendant, and he sits down to teach. And he says to the people in the synagogue, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, these words from Isaiah 61 are not just about Isaiah's generation, they're also about Jesus as well. And you might recall that as Jesus, the risen Jesus, meets his disciples just following the resurrection. It's reported for us at the end of John's Gospel. Jesus says to those disciples, just as the Father has sent me, full of the Spirit, so I'm sending you. And with that, Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord. And so in this snapshot from Isaiah, we've not only got Isaiah's generation, we've got Jesus talking about himself. And because Jesus has shared his calling with us to go and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, we've got us in view as well. This morning, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on you. God has anointed you to preach good news to the poor. One snapshot multiple generations, really exciting news. And that helps us to answer question number two. When is this all about? When's it all set? And the answers are very similar. Most immediately, it's about Isaiah and his generation. Uh, We had a picture of that balcony scene of the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, 60 uh, years In the Old Testament, there was the concept of the year of Jubilee every 50 years, and you can read about it in Leviticus 25. It was a period where the Israelite nation would free slaves, they would return the lands that had uh, in any way been taken from uh, their ancestral owners back to the family, 
They would cancel debts. There would be a year of jubilee. And so that's the idea that's running behind this passage from Isaiah 61. But equally, we've seen that it looks forward prophetically to Jesus' day as well. And in Jesus' ministry, we see Jesus preaching good news, teaching with authority, proclaiming freedom, releasing prisoners and captives, and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. That's what we see in Jesus' ministry. And it's at that point that Jesus stops his reading in the synagogue, halfway through verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Because that reading, up until that point, encapsulates Jesus' ministry, the ministry of Jesus' first coming to earth. But interestingly, Isaiah doesn't stop where Jesus stops his quotation. Isaiah points all the way forward in the second half of verse 2, if you just look at it in front of you, to the day of vengeance of our God. In other words, judgment day, Jesus' second coming, the day that we haven't seen yet where Jesus returns as judge. And so in this snapshot from Isaiah, we've also got in view our generation as well, the generation here and now, which exists between Jesus' first coming, that coming characterized by favor and freedom that Jesus won for us that first Easter, the period between that first coming and the second coming of Jesus with victory, but also a day of vengeance of our God, judgment day. So here we've got the most enormous of passages. We've got a passage that spans the experience of human history. It's a big passage for big human desires. But equally, it's a precise passage that is rooted and grounded in the here and now experience of everyday life. And so that's our third question. What is this all about? And the, and the answer is pretty simple, actually. This passage is all about bad news, and it's all about good news. It's quite binary. Uh, and you might be sat there thinking, well, that's all, that all just seems a little bit too simple for our very complicated lives. I'm not sure about you. I go into Costa. I look at the Costa menu. It is an exercise in choice-making. I am bamboozled by choice. I almost just want to walk up to the bar and say, I'd like a coffee, please, rather than being asked whether I want a frappuccino or a, a cortado or whether I want it with syrup or with milk and whether it's skinny, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In Isaiah, we get a much more binary uh, situation being described, bad news and good news. But as the Bible looks us in the eye and as we look at the Bible... In the binary simplicity of this passage in front of us, we know that the Bible's got us right. That's what we're going to look at now, the bad news and the good news. When Isaiah talks about the brokenhearted, I'm not sure about you, but I'm, I'm not left searching for examples. The examples of a broken heart are all around me, the bad news of a broken heart is within me. 
The word brokenhearted here is quite a versatile word. It, it, it can mean brokenhearted emotionally. It can also mean brokenhearted in terms of a life disfigured by our own internal wrongness, our own internal sin. And when the Bible diagnoses my situation and looks me in the eye like that, I know the Bible's got me right. When Isaiah talks about captives and prisoners, he's not just talking about people who hold us prisoner physically, he's talking also about the negative aspects of cultures that surround us, that hold us prisoner in different ways, perhaps by their values, perhaps by their behaviours, perhaps the culture that surrounds us societally, perhaps uh, our family culture even. The peer pressure to conform to a set of values which we don't agree with sometimes. The tyranny of unrealistically high expectations perhaps within a work context. We know what that looks like. Uh, when the passage talks about the ashes of grief and of mourning, we know that that's not just talking about a distant theological concept. We know that as we look at our own friends and family, people that we've lost, we know the reality of those tears. When we read about the spirit of despair in verse 3, the description is of somebody whose life is like a candle where the wick is burning so dimly that it's about to go out. And as we look at folk in our own experience around us, perhaps struggling with mental health issues, with depression, with anxiety, we know the reality of what that life can sometimes look like. We know the bad news all too well. But I wonder if you noticed that in Isaiah 61, the good news absolutely responds to the bad news. For every item of bad news, there is good news that triumphs. There is a command from the Sovereign Lord. There is the spirit of the Sovereign Lord that countermands each bit of bad news. No bad news is beyond the freedom that the good news can bring. And so we see that the broken heart has its wounds bound up. We see that the captives are freed. We see that the prisoners are released from darkness. We see that the ashes of mourning that in the Old Testament would have been applied to a person's forehead are replaced with a crown of beauty. We see that that spirit of despair is overwhelmed by a garment of praise. The good news wins. And at this point, you might be wondering if Isaiah's got that last bit quite right. When the Bible was looking us in the eye about the bad news, it's, it seemed to be very much accurate. But you might be asking yourself, how's the good news really triumphed? Our news feeds are still filled with stories of a broken world. As I was stood on Westminster Bridge on Friday in the place where the guy had driven the car into the innocent bystanders, 
the bad news still seemed palpably evident. People are still held prisoner by addictions, by oppressive relationships or regimes. Death still hurts. Psychological pain is still real. So you might be asking yourself, where exactly is the good news today? And that's where we return to verse 2 and to those two days. You see, the present reality is that we are in-betweeners. We all live in this in-between time. At one of the bookends, we've got Jesus' first coming. We've got his teaching on good news with authority. We've got uh, his death on the cross dealing with our brokenheartedness and our sin. We've got the victory of his resurrection on that first Easter day, the victory of the good news of Easter. And we know that that victory is now. Jesus has died. Jesus is risen. That victory that he won on the cross over sin and darkness and death and pain, that is a victory that is now. The cross and resurrection happened. I can be confident in the good news, and I can be as confident in the good news as I can be in the death and resurrection of Jesus. They happened. The good news is real, even when life now can sometimes seem like bad news. But also in view, we've got the other book end. We've got the day of vengeance of our God. We haven't yet seen Jesus' second coming as judge. God is, is mercifully delaying Jesus' return so that as many as are called are able to accept Jesus as their Lord and King. In the meantime... The good news is spreading its way out. The good news is, is increasing its reach wider and wider around the world. It's increasing its depth deeper and deeper in our lives. The good news is working its purposes out throughout the world. But it's not finished its work quite yet. We're works in progress. Our world is a world which is in the process of still being saved by God and by that work of the cross. The victory is now, but also the victory is not yet. And so as we close, all of that poses a few questions for us. First of all, uh, I wonder if you've accepted the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for yourself as God's response to your brokenness. Uh, there's still time to do that. Uh, one day there will be a judgment day, but for the moment there is time to do that. The question is, have you responded to God's good news in Jesus, the love that we were talking about at the beginning of our service? For many of us here, the answer to that question will be yes. We trust that Jesus has won our healing and has won our freedom and our wholeness. But I wonder if there are specific areas that even as we've been talking this morning, you realize that the victory of that Easter day, the forgiveness, the wholeness, I wonder if there are specific areas for you where that needs to touch down, where the good news 
the news of the year of the Lord's favor needs to touch down in your hurts and your pains, in the prisons and despairs. And I wonder where you go with that stuff. I wonder whether you take it to the Lord in private prayer. I I wonder whether you've got a Christian friend who you pray things through with. I wonder it might be that you go to somebody in your home group if you're part of one, Uh, perhaps to the prayer ministry team here at the end of the service who love to pray with folk week by week. Uh, Perhaps you might be more comfortable talking to one of the staff team here and contacting us via the staff office. There are loads of folk here who would love to listen to where you're at and to pray the good news of the Lord's favour through with you. Finally, we might ask ourselves the question, are we sharing the good news of the Lord's uh, favour? You might say in response to that, Simon, I, I, I really just feel too broken to do that. Can I really proclaim that good news? And, and that's right, we've seen that we are broken people. But it's also correct to say that the victory and the good news isn't the victory and the good news of us. We're not proclaiming ourselves. It's the victory and the good news of Jesus. We're proclaiming him. In Jesus, we've got everything we need to proclaim and to be good news. We don't need to have everything sorted. In fact, actually, it can help if we're really authentic that we haven't got everything sorted. I was reminded uh, yesterday uh, on uh, a training day that I was on, we, were, uh, we started off with a Bible study that looked at some of Paul's words from his second letter to the Corinthians, and it's there that we're going to finish this morning. Paul talks about us as being cracked pots. I'm not sure whether you've ever thought of yourself as a cracked pot, um, uh, but Paul talks us, uh, as us as being cracked pots. He says, we've got treasures. We've got the Spirit of the Lord, the one who is proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. We've got Jesus by his Spirit living inside us. We are jars of clay. We're, we're, we're cracked. We're broken. But actually, in our brokenness, the glory of God shines out. The Spirit of the Lord is on you. He's anointed you to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you both for that ministry, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, to proclaim and to be good news. And we thank you that uh, we've got that ministry both uh, to ourselves, to declare over the whole of our lives the victory that your Easter cross and resurrection have won, and not just to proclaim it to ourselves, but to proclaim it to others as well. We thank you uh, that you give us that calling and ministry, each one. We thank you uh, more than everything else that in giving us that calling, you have given us the resources with which to do it. We thank you that we don't proclaim ourselves but we proclaim Jesus, the one who died for our brokenness and the one who rose again. We thank you that the good news is something that we can be confident in. And so we pray that as we go out from this place later on in our service, that you would send us out in the power of your spirit to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen.